suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Well, hello there, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, episode 334. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, thankfully, on this occasion especially, Joe, in capitals, the tech guy. Hi, Joe. Evening, all. Yes, dear listener, it nearly didn't happen. I'm here ensconced in a unit at uh, Coolangatta. Went through all the tech gear earlier today. It was all going well. Even hooked up a television to be my second monitor. And then I went to use the whole damn thing and get it going about three quarters of an hour ago and just could not get this microphone to work. It was all hooked up. It should work. Unplugging, replugging, turning things off, updating drivers, and then uh, eventually got on to Joe. He suggested, well, what's the first thing you always suggest to somebody, Joe? Oh, uh, <laughs> reboot. reboot. <laughs> yep. And then um, um, a few other things, and then just swap the microphone USB into a different USB port, and that solved it. So here we are. It almost didn't happen. So if you're in the chat room, say hello. It's a strange time to be doing a live podcast, I know. But Matthew and Greg are in the chat room. And I mean, it's Easter Thursday. What a Joe, can you think of a better way to celebrate the resurrection? Well, I, I thought we were going to have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the chat room. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in the chat room, say hello. Uh, sort of threw this on at the last minute, and um, Shay um, probably didn't even see my messages. Sorry, Shay, um, but Shay was invited. And unlike two old guys who've got nothing better to do on Easter Thursday, Shay's probably out on the town with friends having a good time rather than sitting in front of a computer uh, doing what we're about to do. So... Uh, <laughs> So anyway, we'll try and keep you entertained. I mean, what's Joe, I can remember as a kid um, at Easter time of the TV, it was just reruns of Ben-Hur and The Robe. That was all it was on. That's probably all it's on tonight. Oh, I don't know. I'm watching um, the live stream of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. That's been oh. uh, quite amusing. Okay. So it's live streaming from America, um, UK? Where are they? East, east coast of the US. Oh, okay. It's so this, divor- this is last night's. Or right. this morning's. Um, no, it's a libel case. Oh, okay. Right. So um, they've sorted out the dogs. Who gets Boo and the other one by now? I, I think she's got both of them. Okay. If they're still alive. Yep. <laughs> that was a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Six years ago? Um, it was a while ago. Yep. How, how, long, how long do little dogs last? Yeah. I mean, Barnaby was sober enough to mm. threaten them at that time. Yep. I don't think he could do it today. So, all right. Hey, what are we going to talk about? Well, we've got to, we've got to talk about this election, haven't we? If I was to leave it another week, because I think next week 
I think I'm going to have Cam and um, and Hugh Harrison talking about uh, Jesus and whether he really existed. And uh, provided Easter hasn't mucked up everything, then that's what will be on. So I figured I couldn't wait then another week before we started talking about this election and what's going on. And so I thought we'd give it a crack and we'll talk about it. So... So if you're in the chat room, feel free to make some comments. We'll probably have time to get through them because um, it's just going to be that sort of uh, podcast, I think. So, oh, and I've got a lot of clips as well. I've been mucking around with uh, Restream. They've got lots of stuff for us in terms of clips. So um, hopefully the audio works just as well if you end up listening just onto the audio. But this might be one where if you've never watched the... uh, the YouTube or the Facebook video, then this might be one that's worth doing. So anyway, um, Joe, do you want to kick off with any first impressions of this election so far or will we just, just run into it? Um, off yeah, your chest? As, as somebody has noted that um, Labor are kowtowing to the Murdoch press and they shouldn't because the Murdoch press really don't give a stuff. Uh, they're never going to win them over, so they might as well go hard and um, just tell Murdoch to go and get bent. It's it's like they're in an abusive relationship. It is, Murdoch, very much. Where they keep thinking it's their fault, and if they just do something right, then they'll be nice to them. They, they've almost, it seems like they've reached that point, haven't they? And yeah. The rest of Australia is saying, you've got to leave, give up, there's no hope. Um, yeah, so... Now, I'm finding the whole election so far to be just a very interesting exercise in in how our media is working, really how it's not working, essentially. It's just a, a demonstration of it. So so let's uh, run through what sort of happened in the last week, and we'll do it uh, via some clips. So um, Scott Morrison kicked off with his campaign with with his video of Why I Love Australia. Did you see that one, Joe? No, I'm pleased to say I haven't. Well, you're about to. Sit back and relax. You always have setbacks. You always have imperfect information. I mean, things are tough. And they've been really tough. There's drought. There's floods. There's fire. There's pandemic. There is now war. We're dealing with a world that is has never been more unstable since the time of the Second World War. We're dealing with an economy which has more moving parts and more risks, but indeed many, many opportunities that we have to seize. 40,000 people are alive in Australia today because of the way we manage the pandemic. 700,000 people still have jobs and, and countless numbers of businesses that would have been destroyed. This is why as we go into this next election, what's firing me up? We're actually in a really strong position I was at a trade school the other day in Brisbane, year 11 and 12. I asked them, I said, how many of you are going to start your own business? More than half of their hands went. How good's that? That's why I love Australia. Authorised S. Morrison, Liberal Canberra. Sorry, I should have warned you to have a bucket handy. Uh, the, the audio was impressive. Yes, um, very smooth. Look, a couple of things from that. Um, you know, the things that they claim as their greatest achievements are the things they don't control. 
Well, I had nothing to do with. But also, I noticed uh, he said, you know, there's drought, there's floods, there's fire. Mm. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe something to do with the climate (laughs) is causing that. That's right. A a time of great instability. No, Scotty, it's not the end times. It's fucking climate change. Yeah. This is the shamelessness of these guys. Like, given what he did during the fires... He should be embarrassed yeah. to talk about them and mention them. But of course I, I think he doesn't hold a hose, so obviously yeah. he's not responsible for. Yeah. So uh, you, if you are only listening to the audio, um, on the vision there, that part of the clip um, showed his left hand with his wedding ring. Did you notice that at all? I, I did, but I wasn't paying attention. Yes, just a nod to family values of Scott Morrison, oh. just loitering over his hand and his wedding ring, because of course Albanese is not married, so he wouldn't be able to do that. The other one thing, right at the end, where he, he said, probably wouldn't be caught in the prayer room either. No, the other thing he said was, um, you know, I went to a school, and you know, what was it? Nearly fifty percent of kids are going to have their own business. Yeah, how good is that? I, I, I don't see. Is that something we're supposed to – so they're going to scrape as an independent contractor being a subby? (laughs) That's right, because they can't get a job. They have to be an independent subcontractor to somebody because they can't be employed on a proper wage. Or, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to convince people don't start a small business because a small business is really tough. And as the world gets more complex – um, it, it's it's a world where big business wins, and big business has exclusive deals. Big business um, has monopolies. Um, if you are a small business, you are just locked into a price war with every other small business doing what you're doing. It's very hard to be unique and to get um, a particular. Um, it's very hard to build a moat around your business and stop people copying you. So Coca-Cola can stop people from copying it. Um, they've got to spend a lot of money to be a new entrant into the soft drink market. I mean, Red mm-hmm. Bull did it, but they spent a lot of money. Um, but, you know, you open up a coffee shop, somebody else can open one up right beside you. It's very, very difficult in small business. And we we don't want a nation of small business because all they can do is is low-value stuff. What we actually want is large industrial businesses that gain expertise and, and can make something and can create a niche and, and create a market for themselves. So this whole mantra of, isn't that great, there's going to be these people in small business, I just think the poor buggers are going to be locked into a small business of a shop or a or something where we did say just trade school. Can, yes, yes. Uh, so the, the trade is, an, mm. but but so as a as an independent contractor mm. on a business site, you've got all the risks of running a business mm. uh, and none of the benefits of job security. Yeah, it's tough. Small business is tough. So um, so yeah, um, uh, that was my first impressions of that. Very smooth, of course, and just uh, willing to gloss over all of his mistakes. Um, uh, and um, also, you know, uh, taking, uh, claiming the 40,000 people saved from COVID, um, it was the state governments that introduced the lockdowns that he refused to introduce. 
Indeed, yes. So, again, the greatest achievements are the things they don't control. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Julia said, Morrison's voice artificially lowered. He's won me over. Swoon. <laughs> Julia, you've been on fire on Twitter, by the way. You've really, you know, you've, you've, you've got to come on this podcast at some stage, Julia. Get a, we'll get you on at some stage. It sounds like you've got a, a lot to get off your chest. So, um, so you've been on fire on Twitter. I've been seeing you there. Um, so, yeah, so that was uh, Morrison. And um, let me just see at the other comments. Uh, yeah, actually, Matthew said he also noticed a difference in his voice. You know, Morrison, when you watch him at a lectern, he is channeling every Pentecostal minister he listened to in his lifetime. That's that's what he's doing. He's He's being Mr. Fatherly Advice at the lectern giving a Pentecostal sermon. That's that's the the role that he slips into in those situations. And, you know, in the same way that the Pentecostal preacher doesn't get questioned, um, uh, he doesn't expect hard questions either and shrugs them off. So, uh, so yeah, when I see him up at a lectern, I see, um, I see a Pentecostal uh, minister jabbering away. So... So, um, so that was his kickoff, and uh, Labor in return. What was what was Labor's response? Um, I'll play that one for you. There's drought. There's floods. There's fire. There's pandemic. It's not a race. It's not a competition. That's not my job. That's not my job. It's not my job to do that. Authorised Pierre Erickson, Australian Labor Party, Canberra. Sums it up, really. It does. Probably a smart move for the Labor Party ad to be showing Scott Morrison. But really, you couldn't get Albo to say something to camera to just, you know, you're spending money on advertising and you're giving people more of Scott Morrison. Really? Couldn't have, couldn't have got Albo to do something to camera and something just well, um, with more context. Brilliant quote, which was, uh, "Oh, the, the the media are complaining that Albo's an unknown quantity, mm. given that he's been in Parliament since whenever it was the late nineties, early nineties." Yes. Yeah. Said, um, "If he's an unknown quantity, that's because the press have given him zero coverage." Yes. And when you're going to pay for an ad, what do you do? You put Morrison in it. As you're at, you know, I don't know that that was the smartest move. So, um, this of course was all overtaken fairly quickly on day one by the gotcha, where the journalist asked him, um, if he could say off the top of his head the cash rate and the reserve bank cash rate. And then another why, journalist asked, Why, why about does the it other. matter? Yes, that's what we're asking. The unemployment rate, he, Maybe. yeah. I mean, everybody's probably seen it, but just for completeness, and I think because I've got it here somewhere, let me just uh, let me just see if I've got that one here. Um, actually, this will be a new way we'll do this. Um, um, Albo didn't know it's coming up. Bear with me. Uh, and here we go. 
on the economy, we know that that's going to be a key focus for Australians when you know we're coming out of this pandemic. Can I ask you, you mentioned the Reserve Bank earlier. Do you know the official cash rate off the top of your head? Oh, look, we, we can do the old, uh, old <laughs> Q&A stuff over 50 but different... do you know it? Over, over 50, 50 different figures. Uh, the truth is that what they have said, the Reserve Bank, is that over, over the coming period, uh, the Reserve Bank have said that there'll be multiple interest rate increases, regardless of who's in government. But do you know what Regardless of who's in government. Okay. What's the national unemployment rate? National unemployment rate at the moment uh, is, uh, I think it's 5.4, uh, sorry, I, I'm not sure what it is. You know, his problem is he actually knows shame. <laughs> he was feeling some yeah. shame at not knowing a figure. This is the beauty of Morrison, who's shameless, who blusters on and mm -hmm. just doesn't care. It's Albanese's pro problem was that he actually cared a little bit that, that he didn't know it. Are you surprised that he didn't at least know the unemployment figure? I mean... I, I think uh, he has other things to worry about. Yeah. And I think his correct answer was, no, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I leave that to the accountants to deal with. Uh, my job is setting policy. Yes. It would have been nice if he'd had some practice with these things. Yes. I don't know what they do, but surely they must practice press conferences. What do you do when you get a question you don't know? What what the price of bread or the price of milk or something like I just it just seemed to be a lack of preparation not so much in memorizing the various economic statistics but just preparation for dealing with a press conference he sort of looked quite rusty for somebody who and sort of unskilled well, at, at being in front of a bunch of him. cameras no well <laughs> seems to be the case doesn't it so of course the thing about it is that they ask about the uh, the cash rate and uh, the, lots of people later on said, oh, the cash rate was uh, 0.1 of a percent or whatever. But um, it's actually the case that, well, we'll talk about it later, but there's a target cash rate and there's a cash rate. And it, the cash rate varies, can vary every night. It's not actually set. So um, so the the actual question was a dud question because it should have been what's the, the target cash rate set by the Reserve Bank. Otherwise, you unless you checked every morning, you wouldn't know what the cash rate was from the previous evening. So, and, and lots of people sort of didn't understand that. So, um, so, um, but, uh, so that was, you know, and that's completely dominated the headlines, of course, in all of the Murdoch papers. And also the ABC. The all of the ABC, indeed. So it's dominated everything uh, for such a small thing. The Murdoch papers obviously just loved it, couldn't get enough of it. And um, I'm going to talk about the ABC and their involvement, um, but uh, we then, you know, came to uh, the Greens leader, Adam Bant, and... Um, and he was asked a question. Let me just find, I'll just bring this one up. So he was at a press conference uh, just yesterday, I think it was. And 
another gotcha call. So really, a gotcha question is really a question where the journalist is asking something where the journalist isn't actually seeking the answer but trying to sort of expose that the questioner doesn't know something that they that they should know. So uh, this was Adam Band at the National Press Club for the Greens. So. And just very quickly, talking of abject fact-checking exercises, you said in the speech that uh, wages growth wasn't going uh, particularly well. What's the current WPI? Well, <laughs> Google it, mate. I mean, like, I am, I am sick. If you want to know, if you want to know why people are turning off politics, it's because what happens when you have a an election that increasingly becomes this basic fact-checking exercise between a government that deserves to be turfed out and an opposition that's got no vision. This is what happens. Like, elections should be about a contest of ideas. Politics should be about reaching for the stars and offering a better society. And instead, and instead, there's these questions that are asked about can you tell us this particular stat or can you tell us that particular stat? And those questions are designed to show that politicians are somehow out of touch and not representative of everyday people. Well, newsflash, most of the people in Canberra are on six-figure salaries just passing time until they go out and work for their coal and gas corporations and get a six- or seven-figure lobbying job. Do you know what would be a better way of showing... Do you know what would be a better way of showing that politicians are in touch with the need of everyday peoples, it would be passing laws that lift the minimum wage. It would be making dental and mental into Medicare. It would be making sure that we wipe student debt and build affordable houses. And when you've got wages growing at about two and a bit percent and inflation growing at about three and a half percent, that is part of the problem. Well, Fair that enough. was yeah, it was well said. It was really well said. He won a lot of people over with that speech, I think. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. Is that an end to the to the gotcha questions? I mean, <laughs> almost certainly no, <laughs> because they have no shame either. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you could you would have seen. Albanese's advisors were probably all going, oh, that's what we should Is that have how you do it? Yeah. Trained him to say it. Yeah. So a really good response by a perfect response. And um, I played the whole thing because at least he then got on to talking about some policy. And, you know, we're going to talk about this during this podcast, but it's really hard to get any policy out of what's happening. And the Greens have got some interesting policies. So, um, uh, oh, But are they core promises or non-core promises? That's the question. Well, I think as far as the Greens are concerned, they are. Um, let me just try and find in my notes here. Oh, yeah, let me just find it here. I've got it. Um, so I'll mention them now because... Um, I can remember with the 12th man, actually, you know, with the vote compass. Have you done vote compass yet? Mm. Yeah. And I, I remember saying Paul, Paul was uh, heading firmly towards the Greens and he was very <laughs> upset by that. He was. Um, and, he surprised, I, and he was surprised. I, I align with the Greens except for when it comes to 
science interfering with environmentalism, where I follow the science and they follow the environmental activism. Right. Um, GMO, uh, there are a couple of other things that they're very much uh, not following the evidence. Right, yeah. Um, they're, they're no no to nuclear power. Yes. I'm, I'm willing to discuss nuclear. They're not willing to discuss nuclear. And I think right. this is ideological rather than fact-based. Yeah, okay. Well, you're never going to agree with a party 100%. And, um, and gee, t- to me... They seem the sensible vote in this next election. Vote one Greens and then preference Labor and put Liberals and Nationals dead last and maybe some independents, depending on who they are, up a bit higher. Although with some of those independents, even yeah. though they're ex-Liberals who claim to be independent, they, they have some fairly sort of strong neoliberal well, policies still. I, I saw, I was going through the um, state... Um, Petitions, the Queensland right. petitions, and uh, there was one guy who was after um, the ability to recall politicians, which seemed a bit strange. So I looked him up, and it turns out he'd stood as an independent. Start going through his bio, and um, he he claims to be very much about democracy, but all about how his Christian values uh, influence everything, and how mm. he thinks abortion was a wrong turn, and. I'm thinking, yeah, so independents can be theocrats as well. Yeah, yep. And I think they are, some of these sort of ones in the Liberal electorates down south have uh, got some fairly strong neoliberal uh, views as well. So check But if them it's out. a Liberal mm. safe seat, mm. uh, they're certainly better than the LNP. True, yep, yep. So... Um, the other thing is, um, in terms of secularism and um, what's the other one that Labour seems to have sold out? Oh, just working people. Yeah. <laughs> work, work, working people seem to have been totally lost by uh, Labour as well. Yes. They've just given uh, up. Bi- the big unions, so what's in it for the unions, I agree Labour's looking out for. Mm. But the average person, I don't think so. Mm. Well, there was that review of the minimum wage, which they've decided not to go ahead with. Yep. Um, and uh, there's no talk of any change to the taxation system. So the, the cuts that the uh, Morrison governments, uh, coalition governments have proposed are all going to just keep sailing through. So, um, so yeah, they're very disappointing on a number of levels. Um, uh, it, they really are just going for... You know, we're not that dissimilar, but we're just not Scott Morrison with a with an ICAC thrown in. Maybe I mean, when you th- when you think of what are you going to get from Labor that you wouldn't have got with Morrison, it would be. Hopefully, they're just not as shambolic in everyday decision making. They can actually make. Oh, some they can, they, they are going to do something about climate change. Yes, something about that. I wouldn't really be relying on them a lot, but no. But no. Um, L- and, less than nothing, I think. Less yeah. than paying them, although they've said they're going to keep their carbon credits or whatever it's called. Yeah. I, I'm not totally up to speed with that. but um, um, Basically, they pay people not to pollute, and it turns out that the place – so they're paying them not to cut down forests that don't exist – Mm-hmm. Uh, and then selling those at a cheap price to oil and gas companies to offset their carbon emissions. 
Yeah, it's a sort of a bastardisation of how it was supposed to occur. So yes, um, look, I'm just going to change the screen. I did have I actually no, I can still do it just on the greens. So you know, I've been watching it carefully. What's been going on with um, news reports, etc. And the only way I could find out what the in that Adam Bant speech, I thought, oh, it seems like the Greens have got some interesting policies. Just have to go onto the Greens website to actually look them up. Like they, you'll just never read about them in a mainstream media article. Of course not. No, you have to you have to go and look for it. So, um, so in a week where it's all been about the horse race and who's winning and who's losing without looking at the policies, just in terms of the Greens, I like these. So, put in place a new corporate super profits tax of 40% on big corporations. Sounds good. Introduce an annual extra 6% wealth tax on billionaires. Okay. And tax the mega profits of big corporations earning over $100 million annually and a crackdown on multinational tax avoidance and end government handouts to billionaires and big corporations. So... Um, let me just, oh, this screen is going to annoy me. I'm going to shift this across to my other screen because it's just hang too on. hard to read. How are they going to get political donations if they do that? Yeah, indeed. Yes. So good question. Um, the 6% tax, I like the idea of this. A 6% billionaire's tax would only apply to the net wealth held by Australia's billionaires. So if you're not a billionaire, relax. To stop the billionaires shifting assets offshore, the tax will still apply to 90% of their original wealth. Um, so this is just going to tax 122 Australian citizens, but it would raise $40 billion um, to pay for services. I, I, think, I think the hardest thing is uh, justifying what you're counting. You know, how, how do you know what's owned by them? It's going to be yes. quite difficult. Is it is it difficult? The Australian Financial Review comes out with a figure every year for it comes uh, out with a guesstimate. Yep. We have a tax office that should know something about what people own. Well, so the the Panama Papers and the what's the yep. the three leaks shows yep. how much money that's hidden offshore that we just don't know about. True. But someone like Gina Reinhardt and for that matter, Clive Palmer and uh, Forrest, like the mining ones, it's pretty oh, apparent yeah. how many shares have you got in your mining company and that's a mining company on our stock exchange. We know how much you have and we're going to tax you 6% on your wealth. Um, you know, it, it, of course, some cases will be more difficult than others, but I think some could be surprisingly easy to to work out how much money people have got. So, um do you know, on the 7.30 report, apparently Lee Sales was interviewing him and said something to the effect of, well, isn't this a funny way of doing it? Wouldn't it be more efficient if the billionaires could just give away their money to charity rather than it all going through the government? <laughs> that was um, one of her so counter-arguments. Has she become a neoliberal or something? Um, one of the arguments I've heard against it is that the Gates Foundation is very... Um, very, very political in what it chooses to sponsor. And yes. whilst these whilst these billionaires are altruistic and that's great and wonderful, 
Um, it's not necessarily going to the places where it needs to go and that society wants it to go. It's going to the things that either bring the billionaires uh, press mm. or that piques their personal interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and their wealth has increased dramatically. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to have the figure here. Actually, I do. So just since the pandemic, um Gina Reinhart's wealth has increased from sixteen billion to thirty-six billion just during the pandemic. Andrew Forrest from thirteen billion to twenty-nine billion, and Clive Palmer from four and a half to nine point seven. Um, you, you, that's not earned wealth. That's just gifted because we um, we haven't taxed these people enough. So. Uh, what yeah. about Jerry Harvey? Yeah, I don't have the figure for Jerry Harvey. Um, but he, he is actually on the Greens website. He was used as an example, but I didn't I didn't grab that one. So, um, so I mean, after all, there's a lot um, uh, that, that socialist cash that he accepted quite happily and then kept. Yes, yeah. So he was on their list and there was a description of how much he'd received in terms of... Um, subsidies from the government and how much tax he paid, how much he'd earned and how much he'd returned. So that is on the Greens website if you're interested in the in the details of, of Jerry Harvey. Well, the the um Clive Palmer mm-hmm. and he's spending seventy million in this election and a hundred yes. in the last. Yes. He now that's not altruistic. He's got to have seen at least that value back. Hmm just in terms of the, the policies that the government has introduced yeah. to make it worth his while to spend that money. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he clearly sees it. So, um, so yeah, so the Greens, that's at least some policy that the only other policy I've heard of in watching this media is really that um, Morrison says he's given up on an ICAC and he basically blames Labor for not agreeing to the version that he came up with. And Labor's come out with a policy about some emergency GP clinics that they'll set up around the country. And they immediately copped flack from the AMA who said, what are you doing? I mean, because they could see their members having businesses affected by some government-run GP clinic set up next door to them you know which the ama as deep throat has mentioned is a conservative organization indeed and it sounded like they hadn't run anything past the ama probably because of a scare campaign or whatever but um i just it was a strange policy to release i thought um i mean we have gp clinics there are some 24-hour ones around but we have hospitals an emergency department. But the idea is to take the stress off the emergency departments. Right. Because people are turning up to emergency who Mm. are not urgent cases. Mm. And this is the problem because um, uh, the gap payments and people are going, I can't afford that. And Mm. so they're either hanging on and then turning up an emergency because they haven't seen a GP Mm. um, or they're going to see emergency for something they didn't need to go to emergency for. Yeah. Are they getting those at midnight, though, when the GP isn't open? There's, 
the idea of these 24-hour ones, are people are people going with an ingrown toenail to the emergency at one in the morning? I just... I, th- I can I find that abuse. I think that abuse of the emergency clinic is happening while GPs are open. Um, so, oh, probably. Yeah, it's it's. But the the problem is the funding for GPs is the the yeah. gap payments. The the Medicare funding hasn't kept um, pace, yeah. and so virtually no one bulk bills anymore. Yeah. So put money into that. Make I agree. It easier to bulk bill. That's would seem to me to be where that money should go. Um. So anyway, I'll do Vote Compass um, myself in a little while. I'm sure I'll end up somewhere down near the Greens because I did last time. And, um, yeah, that won't surprise me at all. But, yeah, it did remind me how Paul was amazed that that was where he'd ended up. Um, Okay. Um, We're all over the shop here. So still just in terms of the media and how it's transpired during the week. So we had had Morrison. uh, We had... Um, we had the gaffe by Albanese and then we've had Adam Baird come back. And just, of course, the amount of coverage in the Murdoch papers over this has been just a deluge. And meanwhile, there's any number of errors, mistakes, horrific things happening on the um, Liberal National Party side and crickets, of course. People get frustrated by this, but you've got to stop thinking of the Murdoch Press as a newspaper. You have to pick it up, look at it and go, oh, it's just the Liberal Party newsletter. Um, that's that's what you're reading. Just That's what you should expect to see. The infuriating part about all this, Joe, is, well, of course, uh, Nine now and Fairfax have all leaned heavily in the same direction now with Peter Costello as the as the chairman. So let me just find here in my notes um, about the... Um, so this was an article I saw from a website called Captured States. I don't know much more about it, but um, um, there's a link to it in the show notes. Australia's media ownership is among the most concentrated in the world. One study ranks Australia third worst behind only the repressive state-run medias of China and Egypt. This intense concentration means that only a few people control the messages that reach the vast majority of Australians each day. Long-term Liberal politician Peter Costello, who still actively fundraises for the Liberal Party, he chairs Nine Entertainment, which owns the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age... Australian Financial Review, Nine's television channels, various lifestyle websites, including Pedestrian and Drive, and major talkback radio stations in several states. So the lurch, or the editorial lurch, of Nine's newspapers towards the coalition since Costello assumed control in 2016 has been noticeable and concerning, especially when it has resulted in partisan coverage of important issues. So what people noticed for sure was... Uh, the age was very anti-Dan Andrews during the pandemic in Victoria. Very harsh coverage, which was in stark contrast to what the Sydney Morning Herald uh, and how it was fawning over Gladys Berejiklian and its hard, heartbroken requiem for her during a COVID-19 and ICAC journey. So, um, so you've just got to realise that... Um, Costello in charge of, of that group 
have have certainly lurched to the right. Um, many former News Corp journalists have been recruited to senior roles at the Costello's outlets. Uh, in recent years, the executive editor of The Age and Sydney Morning Herald was James Chessel. He's a former staffer of Liberal Treasurer Joe Hockey. Chessel has since been promoted to become Managing Director of Publishing at Nine. Um, I mean, these people don't change their spots. I mean, if you've been a um, staffer of a Liberal Treasurer, uh, you're not going to change your spots going to work somewhere else. Over in Perth, uh, Sevens West Media is another major Australian media empire. The chairman's the company's chairperson, Kerry Stokes, has been a long-term Liberal Party donor and supporter. Kerry's son, Ryan Stokes, is Seven West's chief executive. Ryan chose current Liberal treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, to be the best man at his wedding in 2016. So that's Western Australia. And that's, that's without talking about News Corp, which we'll get to now. Uh... Its tabloids, such as the Daily Telegraph, Herald Sun, savagely attacked Labor governments in ways that surely border on defamation. Um, they protect Liberal leaders and regularly feature LNP puff pieces that Labor cannot even dream of receiving. Um, News Corp tabloids are free advertising, protective barriers and fierce foot soldiers all in one. Um, Kevin Rudd had that petition. Now, ABC... Um, even I the ABC. did see an article about um, why the Murdoch rags in the UK were so keen to get rid of Britain or get Britain out of the EU, and mm. the answer was because the British Prime Minister will listen to him, but the EU wouldn't. Indeed, that's right. Brussels will not listen to him, so that was a big reason for him. Yep. Um, so. Even the ABC is accused of watered-down standards in recent years. Prime Minister Scott Morrison's hand-picked chairperson, Ida Buttrose, has hosted Liberal Party fundraisers in the past. Um, uh, in recent days, the ABC attracted widespread anger for platforming a climate change denier from the Institute of Public Affairs um, on Q&A without booking a climate scientist to appear on the same program. A so it's naive, not even false balance. Yes, a naive idea of balance has allowed outright lies to appear on ABC with increasing regularity. Um, let's see. So Albanese's small target, according to this writer, Albanese's small target strategy has been a product of necessity. The, uh, the media's most powerful figures are waiting with foaming mouths for Albanese to show even the slightest weakness to attack. I think this was written before the gaffe over the uh, cash Obviously. rate. Mm. Uh, compare the media's two-week-long front-page hysteria about Kimberley Kitchings' unfounded claims of labour bullying with the immediately suppressed bombshell allegations of racism and fraud against Scott Morrison by Michael Toke. Um, inexcusably, Toke's claims have not appeared on the front page of any Murdoch or Costello newspaper. Um nor a friendly Geordies. No, no, indeed. Um, so, if Labor is discussed in the coverage for the election, coverage will largely ignore the party's policy and focus instead on 
whatever Morrison has decided are Albanese's supposed personal weaknesses, and Morrison's long list of failures will be forgotten. You did see the um, Australian headline with has Albo gone or is Albo uh, uh, an early onset Joe Biden? <laughs> yes, I did see that. Yes. Yep. I mean, we shouldn't be shocked. It shouldn't be. But it's just so blatant that you still are mm. shocked, even after all these years of witnessing it, predicting it, knowing it was going to come. Just the shamelessness can still shock. I'm shocked that I'm shocked, Joe. I thought, I thought I'd be a bit more cynical. A masthead publication implying that both Albanese and Joe Biden have Alzheimer's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, look, um, I'm going to play the ABC one here. Um, this uh, was highlighted by Michael West Media and, you know, we all know that that the Murdoch and Costello press are mouthpieces for the conservative side. If you're if you're a journalist with warm blood on the ABC, you should be fully aware of that. That they will, on their front pages, run a campaign in their own interests, and. You just can't treat the front pages of these papers as as indicative of what is important in Australia. But what does the fucking ABC do except repeat these headlines as if they actually are what's important in Australia? And I'm going to play this, um, this segment from an ABC mornings program of some sort here. It's just I'll play this one. You'll get the picture. Let's have a look at the morning's headlines online and from the major news outlets around the country. The Guardian Online is leading with that campaign stumble from the Labor leader, where Anthony Albanese didn't know the jobless and interest rates off the top of his head. The Age reports the Prime Minister will ramp up his economic attack on Mr Albanese today by making a big jobs promise. The City Morning Herald says the PM's jobs announcement is pouncing on Labor's rates fail. The Financial Review debunks a Labor claim that the number of Australians in casual work has increased. While the Courier-Mail says Anthony Albanese has failed the economic test. Mr Albanese didn't notice nearly 190,000 people have a job. That's the Adelaide Advertiser's take on the gaffe yesterday. ABC News Online is leading with a lethal stabbing at the Sydney Royal Easter show overnight after a violent brawl. A $56 million road to nowhere. The NT News says taxpayer money has been wasted on the Gunpoint Road upgrade, upgrade rather, that is now deemed unviable. Don't count on me. The Herald Sun says Anthony Albanese's bid for the top job has stumbled on day one. The Mercury is featuring polling that suggests a quarter of voters do not know who the Labor leader is. Economics not so Albanese. That's the headline in The Australian. Not so Albanese is the headline in the Daily Telegraph. The paper has published an economic cheat sheet for the Labor leader as he attempts to reset his campaign. And the West Australian also has a shopping list of key figures. So just a rundown of the bagging of Labor by, um, by vested interests. And that's the ABC for you. 
terrible. It's 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 mind boggling that. Um. So. Oh, one of the um, one of the journalists, I think, gave Scott Morrison a hard time during some interview. Mm-hmm. And then there was outrage the following day that how dare this? Uh, why why is this left leaning trash supported by our taxpayer funds? Yes. Well, well, Andrew Bolt has come out because Laura Tingle. Was, yes, yes, that was it. That, that's the one you're thinking of. Let yes. me find this. Let me find this in my notes here. I've got it here somewhere. Um, uh, I think I do. Bear with me a second. Um, I thought I'd found it and sent it to you, but I can't find yeah. it. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't find it here either. But essentially, Laura Tingle did, you know, an eight-minute recap on the Morrison government, and guess what? There was a litany of disasters that had occurred because that is what's happened during the Morrison government, and. Actually, let me just do a search here if I can find it. Hang on, Tingle. Uh, no, I don't have it. Oh, hang on, hang on. Um, maybe I do. Yes, Andrew Bolt on Sky. So, um, so she ran a segment on ABC Seven Thirty Report. It raised issues that had dogged the PM, including bushfires, COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes, the government's failure to establish an anti-corruption body. Um, Tingle said the issues, quote, raised questions about the Prime Minister's character and would leave an indelible mark on his Prime Ministership. Um, Andrew Bolt said taxpayers should not be paying for biased coverage and this is Andrew Bolt on Sky News talking about Laura Tingle on the ABC. He said, last night the ABC ran probably the most shameless, savage and biased smear of the Prime Minister and his government that I've ever seen. <laughs> it ran for eight minutes, claiming to be a review of the government's last three years. And if you believe the presenter, Laura Tingle, the government in those three years has been a complete and utter failure led by a bungling fraud. Sounds about right. Well, <laughs> that's right. If that's the impression you got, it was probably a fairly accurate eight-minute report, I would have thought. Um, so, so hang on. How much money has News International got, News Corp, News yeah. Limited, whatever they're called? They continue to get handouts, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And how much I, – I don't know the exact figure, Joe, but I do know how much tax they've paid, News Corp. Fuck all. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so talking about these biased media pundits who are getting yep. government handouts. Mm. Yes, indeed. News Corp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Sky um, News. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier about the the cash rate. So, uh, yeah, and and other journalists were leaping on here. There's a journalist, Samantha Maiden. And um, she said, Labor leader Anthony Albanese has now refused twice to state the RBA cash rate for interest rates. Yes, it's a gotcha question. However, he should know it. And reports to show a thing showing the RBA cash rate, but um, at, at 0.1 of a percent. But as this guy, um, 
points out, Peter Tulip, he's chief economist at the Centre for Independent Studies, um, he said the 0.1 of a percent is the cash rate target. The correct answer was actually six basis points. Um, so if you can be pedantically correcting others, then you've got to get the answer right yourself. So that sort of gotcha question. Really, what Anthony Albanese should have said to the journalist asking that question was, are you talking about the target cash rate or are you talking about the overnight cash rate? And what what do you reckon the journalist would have said, Joe? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which, of course course, for anybody who's familiar with Monty Python and the Holy Grail will bring back memories. In the, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, early in the, in the movie, uh, King Arthur is with his um, aide who's he's pretending to be on a horse and he's clopping, sort of clopping coconuts together to make a horse sound. And they arrive at this castle and these guys yell out, what are you doing with these coconuts? Where do you get those from? And and he said, oh, maybe a swallow dropped them. And they said, well, how could a swallow do that? And there was a discussion about the flying velocity of a European versus a Asian swallow or something like that. And uh, anyway, that was at the beginning of the movie. And then later at the end of the movie, um, they're trying to cross this bridge. And uh, there's this, like, gatekeeper wizard-type character who who asks questions. And Tim the Enchanter. Well, who is it? What's it? Tim the Enchanter. Tim the Enchanter, and uh, the knights are asked a question, and and they if they get it right, they can progress over the over the the bridge. <laughs> and so, um, I'll play a bit of that because it, I was reminded of this with this whole question of the cash rate. Stop! What is your name? It is Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? African or European swallow? Huh? I, I don't know that. I reckon if Albanese had said, do you mean the target cash rate or the overnight cash rate? She would have gone, I don't know. Whoosh. If <laughs> only. A bit of luck. <laughs> One can only dream, Joe. <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh, maybe maybe we could set up a springboard microphone stand, where if you if you get the question wrong, you get launched. <laughs> That's it. And if you've asked a question incorrectly and you, mm -hmm. or, or vaguely, then you get launched as well. If if the question, you can turn it back on you, which I think is what Adam Bant did to that guy. He literally absolutely sent him off into the into the never never as well. Yeah. So. Um, What's going on in the chat room here? Um, so Alison says, don't forget Bob Catter saying we need to give all kids guns at school. That's right. You know, and talking about policy. So that was, um, while there's been a dearth of policy statements, that was one that we had. Thank you, Bob Catter. Um, um, John, uh, Jack H says, the figures regarding the wealth increase, what's the figures uh, within the Morrison government time frame? Well, not sure, Jack, but at least with Gina Reinhart, she doubled her wealth in just the pandemic years. So um, that was for her. Um, and uh, this one from Alison. Last election, I got my mum to do a vote survey based on the candidates in our electorate. 
so it was very similar to Vote Compass. She swore black and blue she was a Liberal voter. She did the quiz and best matches the Socialist Alliance candidate. I was not at all surprised by this. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and... Julia's going to vote Greens by the looks of it. So that's it in the chat room. Keep them coming. If you've got comments to make, we will have the time this evening to get through some of them. Right. Um, what other things did I have to say? Let me. What other videos did I have while I'm here? Just to make sure I've got the relevant ones for that. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, horse race journalism, because that's... That's the other issue that's going on here, where we're not getting discussion about the policies at all. We're just getting discussion about mistakes, errors, um, who's winning, how can Mo how can Albanese lose this, how can Morrison win it. We're not getting the contest of ideas that Adam Bant was talking about, and that's the most disappointing thing about this is we're not. We're just not talking about ideas about how we should change this country in different directions. What's going to be good and what's going to be bad for us? We've just got these banal statements where essentially Morrison will say Labor can't be trusted with money, they've got no experience and um, uh, I'll keep you safe against the Chinese and the Russians and the boat people and but not and, against climate change. No, and 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 that's it. Um, and and all Labor's saying in return is, "I'll give you, an, we'll give you an ICAC, and we'll throw a bit of money at Medicare." And but otherwise, we're not going to change much at all. What well, sounds of it? Adam Bant at least had something. So, so yeah, we're in horse race journalism. Here is a bit of an explanation of that. Need in evidence here too. Well, horse race journalism is sort of a, a reusable model for how to do campaign coverage in which you focus on who's going to win rather than um, what the country needs to settle by electing a prime minister. And it's easy to do because you can kind of reuse it sort of like a Christmas tree every year. Uh, and it's it requires almost no knowledge either. Uh, and it uh, it's kind of imagines the campaign as a sporting event, right? And everything that happens in the campaign can potentially affect the outcome. And so you can look at it as how is it going to affect the horse race? And every day you can ask who's ahead and um, what is their strategy? And I think this perspective appeals to political reporters because it kind of puts them on the inside, you know, looking at the campaign the way the operatives do. Um, by the way, I'm told that you actually have a program here on Sunday morning called The Insiders. We do. Is that true? We do. And The Insiders are the journalists? That is right. That's remarkable. Mm. The nature of, basically what you've just described there is basically what modern, the day-to-day -day reporting of modern campaigns. What would be an alternative model? Well, an alternative model might start with what do the people of Australia want this campaign to be about? What are the issues they want to see the candidates discussing? And then to ask each day, well, how did we do in advancing the discussion of the citizens' agenda today? Was it ignored? Was it addressed? 
Was it demagogued? <laughs> was, uh, was it slighted? And if uh, the journalists helped citizens get their agenda addressed during the campaign, they would be performing something that's actually very important, a role that's very important for them to do. But instead, if they want to simply become the chroniclers of the inside game and tell us from the point of view sort of the, of the professional strategist who's doing better, well, they're going to, in a way, join the political class. And that's the attraction of the horse. Mm. I think that um, I think that partly explains the ABC journalists. I mean, I understand that the Costello and Murdoch journalists might want to do something, but they know they're just not going to fly with the bosses in charge. You would have thought if you pushed a little bit in the ABC, you could get some talk about policy, but. Um, I, I think they're lazy, most of them, and they want to take that easy insider horse race view, and it's a shame. We're just, we're not getting policy. So mm -hmm. it's a sad situation, Joe, and so um, this leads to, Ooh. yeah. Okay. got up on the screen, the, the cave, Plato's Cave. This is what I think of. Like, we're in a tough situation where our... Uh, as a civilization, not just Australia, around the world, where we've reached the point where information can be so freely exchanged, where we should be just booming ahead in progress, but because of the misinformation perpetrated by people in charge, we're actually going backwards. And um, and so this reminds me of the story of the Plato's Cave. I've got a picture up on the screen for those who are watching the live stream or watching the the video. So um, Plato. Plato begins by having Socrates ask Glaucon, Glaucon to imagine a cave where people have been imprisoned from childhood, but not from birth. These prisoners are chained so that their legs and necks are fixed, forcing them to gaze at the wall in front of them and not to look around at the cave, each other or themselves. Behind the prisoners is a fire and between the fire and the prisoners is a raised walkway with a low wall, behind which people walk, carrying objects or puppets of men or other living things. The people walk behind the wall, so their bodies do not cast shadows for the prisoners to see, but the objects they carry do, just as puppet showmen have screens in front of them, which they work their puppets. The prisoners cannot see any of what is happening behind them, they are only able to see the shadows cast upon the cave wall in front of them. Socrates suggests that the shadows are reality for the prisoners because they have never seen anything else. They do not realise that what they see are shadows of objects in front of a fire, much less these objects are inspired by real things outside the cave which they do not see. The fire or human-made light and the puppets used to make the shadows are done by the artists. Plato, however, indicates that the fire is also the political doctrine that is taught in a nation-state. The artists use light and shadows to teach the dominant doctrines of a time and place. Also, few humans will ever escape the cave. This is not some easy task, and only a true philosopher with decades of preparation would be able to leave the cave up the steep incline. Most humans will live at the bottom of the cave 
and a small few will be the major artists that project the shadows with the use of human-made light. Um, so that's, you know, you can see a metaphor with our current times with, you know, we're being given very limited information, only what we can see. Um, some people I feel are, uh, I like to think, are understanding what's happening in the true world, but others are, are stuck looking at the cave wall trying to make sense of the shadows. Um, Plato then suggests that um, one prisoner is freed. It would hurt his eyes and he would escape by turning away to the things that he was able to look at. Suppose then someone should drag him by force. The prisoner would be angry and in pain and this would only worsen when the radiant light of the sun overwhelms his eyes and blinds him. Slowly his eyes adjust. Gradually he can see. Eventually, he's able to look at the stars and moon at night until finally he can look upon the sun itself. Only after he can look straight at the sun is he able to reason about it and what it is. Plato continues, saying that the freed prisoner would think that the world outside the cave was superior to the world he experienced in the cave and attempt to share this with the prisoners remaining in the cave, attempting to bring them onto the journey he had just endured. He would bless himself for the change and pity the other prisoners. According to Plato, the returning prisoner whose eyes have become accustomed to the sunlight would be blind when he re-enters the cave, just as he was when he first exposed, was first exposed to the sun. The prisoners, according to Plato, would infer from the, from the returning man's blindness that the journey out of the cave had harmed him and that they should not undertake a similar journey. Plato concludes that the prisoners, if they were able, would therefore reach out and kill anyone who attempted to drag them out of the cave. Oh. Sounds like the anti-vaxxers, really. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thought experiment, and there's certainly some... <sighs> you think, it, yeah, I can see some, some of that occurring right now. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Those who become enlightened, who want to go back and say, hey, you guys, uh, could almost be killed by the ones who are remaining. Sad and depressing. Sorry about that, but that was Plato. Um, right. Um, I was watching Anne Rushton, and she was basically saying that, oh, of course, the Labor Party has a reputation of not being able to manage money. And... Um, um, it does have a reputation of that. It does. And I was, um, um, my boss from Victoria was up um, and we were driving around visiting some customers and stuff the other day. And uh, I'm just trying to, oh, I don't have that. Actually, I'm just going to try and bring up this. No, I'm not going to be able to. Um and I was talking to her because she was saying something similar about, oh, of course, Labor's terrible with money. And I said, well, yeah. oh, it was about tax. Labor, you know, highest taxing, you know, they tax everything. I said, you realise this? Do you do know who was the highest taxing government in the last 40, 50 years, don't you? And she said, oh, no. You're going to tell me it was John Howard, are you? I go, yes, it was, actually. If you look at the tax taken as a percentage of GDP, the Howard government was um, was indeed the well, highest. That's because we had a minerals boom. In, indeed, so you know there wasn't actually some excuse for it um, because of the mining boom, minerals boom meant there was a huge 
tax take indeed. But if you want to and talk then about they handed it, a lot of that back to middle class welfare. Indeed, they did. And the big end of town. And ruined the budget for years to come because yep. these things become entrenched. But so so there'll be three things where they'll talk about it, it still is about the economy, stupid. Like, this is what uh, Bill Clinton famously said. Um, you know, there are all these talk about social justice issues and, and other things. And he said, it's the economy, stupid. It was about uh, people just care about the economy. And this is where Labor has to drive home more of the message that um, if you just want to look at the figures... Highest taxing government was the uh, Howard Costello government. Um, it actually dipped during the Rudd and Gillard years and then increased again during the coalition years. And, and really, a, a tax number means nothing. Mm. Who's paying the burden of it? Is it the low end of town or is it the top end of town? Indeed. But, you, you know... If they, if the people won't even want to get into the complicated story, you can just talk about okay, total tax. Here's the figure. Now shut up. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about the details and where it went? Well, fine, because it's still not a good look. But um, uh, so, um, so the first one is the total tax rate. Then, of course, they'll talk about Australia's debt, and you've then only got to look at what's happened to. Um, uh, Australia's gross debt um, under the Liberals. Yes. Now, sure, it went up under Rudd. Global financial crisis pumped money in the economy, but he's been left for dead by the Morrison Frydenberg government. So again, you can say, look, if you're worried about debt and debt being repaid, then it's the Morrison and Frydenberg government that has got us into this mess. And, and didn't the Rudd spend actually leads to increased uh, GDP, the economy starting, and more money coming back in the end. Yeah. If you want to look at where the money went, there's all sorts of great arguments. But just in terms yeah. of basic figures, who got us into this mess with the debt? It was the Morrison-Frydenberg government. And then people will say to you, look, okay, but, hey, it was a pandemic. place was shut down. And, um, you know... Not, not for the first five years of his government. Yeah, but um, indeed. But you can also point to um, uh, another statistic, which is the, the increase in our debt for the five years from 2013 to 2018. So this is the five years um, prior to the pandemic. And if you line up, 36 OECD countries and who was paying back debt and who was building up debt, Australia had the second worst performance. Um, the only one worse was Chile. And that's just a fact that during the five years prior to the pandemic, the coalition um, conservative governments increased our government debt to be the worst in the GDP in that period other than Chile. So um, now MMT says that somebody's going to be in debt and it's either the people in the population or it's going to be the government. Yes. 
So when the government gets itself out of debt, that just means private debt goes up. Yes. And private debt isn't a good thing. Yes. So actually increasing debt, increasing government debt is a good thing. But the problem is if you're doing it to pay your rich mates out rather than to help the poorest people out, it's not a good thing. Yeah. So do this in response to people who say, oh, Labor always taxes too high. Well, the response is just as a bald figure. No, they don't. And if the if the argument is, ah, oh, and you know, labour always gets us into debt and never pays back the debt. They're not good money managers. Well, just give them the bald figure. Those sorts of people are highly unlikely to be talking about um, modern monetary theory, though, Joe. I think so. Because um, yeah, just the basic numbers are great for labour in that sense. That's why I'm saying that um, losing the last election was the best thing that could happen to the Labor Party in the long term for the next 50 years. Because could you imagine, Joe, like Labor would have had to have done the same spending, hopefully better targeted, but let's face it, there would have been a lot of spending and they would have been just crucified for the next five decades. They they were because of the GFC. Yes, now, at least, there is a very good counter-argument to say, hey, you guys did it too, so shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it was incredible about how socialist Turnbull was. Not Turnbull. Yes. Uh, Scotty was uh, as soon as the pandemic started. But then, of course, they yeah. went, how can we rot this for our mates? I know. Yeah. Rather mm. than paying the people who are unemployed, we'll pay the people who might have employed them to not sack them and yep. then... Not awesome to pay it back if they made super profits anyway. Yeah. So as the campaign progresses, I'm really keen to see is there a Labor Party spokesperson who, when this topic comes up, can say it succinctly and well and convincingly and make some undecided people go, Oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? Oh. Like, is there anyone there who who can do it, because sure as eggs, when they appear on Sky News or on the Murdoch or on Costello stuff, at some point somebody will say, oh, you guys have a problem with economic management. Can somebody please on the Labor side at that point just come out and do an Adam Bant and just explain something really well in 30 seconds and push back? Let me know if you see it. It's about controlling the conversation. Mm. And and the people they've got just don't seem to be able to control the conversation. Yes, it's about selling. Yep. Yes. And, Jim and Chalmers sure. can. Yeah. So I think he can. I'll, I'll be if if you see a clip where he does it, Alison, let me know. So um, I think he can, but let's wait and see. All right. Other topics. Uh, oh. Um, um, George Christensen. Did you hear what he's doing, Joe? Oh, yeah. Did you see the article I sent you? Yes. The one that so he, said he, he's he's retired from politics. Oh, no, he hasn't. He's going to stand for one notion. Yes. Uh, but apparently the reason he's standing for one notion is that if he leaves Parliament under his own, uh, of his own volition, he gets no payout. But if he stands and is a sitting member of parliament or a candidate who's a member of parliament and loses his seat, 
he gets a yep. hundred thousand payout. Correct. Well, a six-figure payout. There's a so resettlement just, allowance. Just by standing for One Nation, he'll yep. get a payout. So I think he's uh, going for the third spot in the One Nation Senate ticket, I think is what it is. Like it's clearly a hopeless case that he will never win a Senate spot uh, being in that position on the Senate ticket. Um, and, yeah, there's this resettlement allowance. So you qualify if um, you have retired involuntarily through... Um, uh, defeat at an election, including defeat at an election where he or she has campaigned to be elected to represent a different electoral division or to the other House of Parliament. So, because he's currently in the House of Reps, isn't he? So He is. Um, so, the, so, yeah, he's going to be defeated in another House of Parliament, but there'll be this resettlement allowance, which will be worth somewhere around $100,000. So... <laughs> Nice if you can yep. get it. Yep. And, you know, Pauline Hanson will claim she hates politicians and she's for the working man and all the rest of it, and, and stupid people will believe her and, and say she's not like those other politicians. And meanwhile, she's, she's enabling this. you think. <laughs> meanwhile, she's enabling this. Um, they'll talk about experience, of course. Um, and Which is strange. This... I've never heard her say that she, she thinks she's a waste of oxygen. Yeah. I, I still can't believe how nervous she is in her voice after all these years. You would have thought she would have settled into being able to speak in front of the camera, but it just seems to be an excruciating experience for her every time she has to front the camera. It must be horrible. Like, just you can feel the unease in her, the lack of confidence, and to have to do it so often for so long um, must be awful. Anyway. They'll talk about how Elbow is inexperienced. And I saw this thing, thing on Twitter by somebody said, uh, Elbow in 2007 became Australia's first infrastructure minister and became leader of the lower house. That was in 2007. Morrison in 2007 uh, cheated his way into parliament after losing pre-selection to Michael Toke, 82 votes to eight. Um, Allegedly. And, yes. So this other tweet by this guy, Dave Citywide Chaos, he said, did Scott Morrison really get beaten, 82 votes to eight, in a pre-selection vote? Hard to believe this is factual. Does Toke expect us to believe this? Those voting would have known Morrison personally. What were those eight people thinking? So, I thought that was good. Um, oh, and, you know, when you want to talk about economic management, then the other one to talk about is the submarines. $5 billion. Nothing. No. Here's... Um, it was Penny... important for Australia's um, security. Yes. Here's Penny Wong at some Senate Estimates Committee or something like that, so... Work that is still underway by our um, Defence Science and Technology Group, for instance, doing studies and those sorts of but things. But still on the C-1000 project? Around future submarine capability, yes. Still on the C-1000? It's funded out of that provision, yes. Right. Up to five and a half. So that year. 540, for instance, Senator, is part of what was always spoken about as the 89 or the $88 billion provision. That is all part of it, the total sure. provision. 
So taxpayers would be up to, up for five and a half billion dollars in submarines that don't exist. The, the final negotiated settlement will be within that price. Within that. Five and a half billion dollars for nothing. Yeah, but it's not their money. Indeed. But and they're the great economic managers. Mm. Imagine what Labor could have done. How much they would have wasted if we'd <laughs> That's the beauty of Morrison. He could shamelessly say, Oh yeah, but imagine if Labor had been in charge, it would have been ten billion. Oh, well, it's... only if Labor thought that we needed submarines. Um, yes, did, I'm sure did, did, you, did. did you look at that video? I mean, obviously it was in French. I don't know. Yeah, I I didn't persevere with it because it wasn't French. Right. <laughs> Sorry, not all no, 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 speak I've... French, Joe. Yeah. No, no, I I thought uh, it was strange that you were asking for the link. Right. But so this was a a French former spy, former head of uh, a division of the French spy agency. Um, talking about the the submarine contract mm. and and saying that um, they should have seen the writing on the wall, they were arrogant, the French this is, mm. that a, a government, um, an, an Australian government report had said that things weren't going well and that the writing was on the wall and they should have at least had a, a plan to, re, to, to, to fix that mm. and it not be a total surprise. Um, but saying that um, the French weren't allowed to sell us nuclear subs because yeah. the non-proliferation treaty had f expressly forbidden uh, nuclear states to sell nuclear technology to non-nuclear states. Yep, yep. Um, and that effectively that treaty has now been torn up by the Americans and the Brits offering us mm. nuclear-powered submarines. So that's interesting. One wonders what other states are going to get given submarines by Russia slash China. Yes. Yep. Um, and saying that there was a change in requirement, operational requirements mm. that Australia would now require subs to be able to sit in the China Sea on station mm. uh, and attack Chinese vessels, whereas the current submarines would only be able to get there and then would have to turn around and come back. Yep, yep. They are so hairy-chested about the military, these guys. Um, it's It should be embarrassing for them. Um, here's one, a picture of um, Tim Wilson, just in his army fatigues in front of, in front of one of these tanks that I think we're sending to the Ukraine. Yes. Anyway... Somebody doctored the picture on this particular one. I don't know if you can see it, but it says uh, mobile armoured prayer room, all ranks. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so hairy-chested on this stuff. Um, just on, uh, let me just see here, the, um, yeah, and they just have a fascination with the military um, in general. And very pro SAS, of course. Um, Kieran O'Reilly makes the point that we've got the daily grind of the Ben Robert Smith court case exposing the sadism and 
psychosis of the SAS, simultaneously running alongside a reality TV series celebrating the SAS brand. So, I, I found it interesting. There was another different uh, discussion that came up about East Timor. Right. And, and saying that the Australian SAS had behaved in East Timor in a way that the New Zealand SAS had reported up their ranks and that right. New Zealand military lawyers had um, opened an inquiry into potential human rights violations. Right. So, Still so open? Uh, no, I think they found that uh, the Australian SAS had committed war crimes. Right. Yep. And we just didn't hear about it because it was New Zealand or? Um, I don't know, but it seems to be uh, an ongoing problem Mm. of uh, unaccountability that other other countries don't have the problem. So the other countries have their own SASs and don't have this problem. It seems to be peculiar to Australia. I've got the answer here, Joe, in this next Mm -hmm. clip. Here's the answer for our politicians' fascination with the SAS. Here we go. Now, our role has changed substantially since that time. Now we are here primarily to act as a masturbatory aid for various backbench MPs. (laughs) Yes, I'm afraid so. You see, it seems that a lot of today's parliamentarians are quite unable to achieve sexual gratification without fantasising about the SAS. (laughs) It's simple, Joe. That's it. I, I I thought it was um, uh, autoerotic asphyxiation and oranges, but ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go. Right. What else do I want to get off my chest here in this um, particular? Um, yeah, we mentioned Labor um, in terms of policies. Labor decided to drop an independent review of the job seeker payment and refused to increase it. Um, Thanks a lot, Labor Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought something relevant, not to the uh, election, but um, the woman in America, did you see who got charged with murder? Uh, for the abortion? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yep, under the new abortion laws, yeah. Uh, I mean, we think things are bad here, but that extra bit worse over there because they've had a head start on us, but we're heading in that direction. I was was about to say, give Scotty 10 years. Yeah. Hey, I forgot to mention, um, satanic-wise, so uh, not this Easter Saturday, but the following Saturday, we're um, doing a thing with the Noosa Temple of Satan at the Gold Coast at that cultural centre where we're going to reclaim the demons. Um, Did I mention that last week, Joe? I can't. I don't think you did. Yeah, so if you're free, um, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, which would be the, uh, let's get the date right here. Uh, that would be Saturday the 23rd at the Gold Coast Hota um, Centre. That's where that um, where that lady was um, sent to the demonic spirits that she, uh, as the spiritual advisor for the Lord Mayor, decided to drive them out so we're going to meet at the coffee shop there at one o'clock and at two o'clock we will um re-summon the demons um on behalf of satanists of the gold coast so that's that and then 
I would say if you're interested, please get onto the News of Temple of Satan Facebook page. There's an event there and let us know that you're going to come. And then you heard about the prayer room that was down there at the Gold Coast, Joe. So where the spiritual advisor had set up a prayer room in the council chambers. And I had not, no. Yes. So she's she's done that. Is that the and, same as the federal parliament prayer room? I don't know, Joe. But I thought to myself, you know what? I'm on the Gold Coast for 10 days. I think I'd like to say a prayer. So I Excellent. I reached out to the council via their website, sent an email, and um, mm-hmm. and asked how I could go about booking the room for a prayer. And I've received uh, word back from the Lord Mayor's spiritual advisor. She phoned me this afternoon. Excellent. And, yes. Uh, the room is free and available. I just, um, she has to have the names of the people going to attend because we get a lanyard. She has to escort us into the building because it's a council building, so um, so we need our names. And she was curious about and what organisation we might be from, and I was a bit cagey on that, but I will have to disclose it earlier or later this week. So anyway, Friday, um, so not tomorrow, Good Friday, but Friday the 22nd. If anyone's available and would like to join me in prayer at the council chambers at 10.30, uh, 10 o'clock for a 10.30 start, let me know. Send me a message. Go to the website, ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and send a direct message or get in contact with the uh, Noosa Temple of Satan and join me as we... Um, now, you're going to have to give up your name because I have to get a lanyard for you and join me as we uh, are led by... S- the spiritual orgy. Well, it's just going to be a prayer, Joe. Don't you know? Just going to keep it clean. It's going to be oh, a okay. prayer. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I do need some people for that. So if you are potentially able to be there Saturday, um, and join me, let me know because I need a few names to put on the list, and we'll see what happens. So that will be interesting, Joe. Right. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Should put that at the top of the show. Um. Yeah, lots yeah. of people have gone to bed already. Yes, probably. Uh, now, Sh- Shay's um, not with us, of course, and it was she a late night. She did say she's just got off one. a plane. Did she say she just got off a plane? Yes. Ah, right. Well, I'm thinking she, 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 as you heard last time, she's resigned from Qantas, dear listener. And, you know, oh, she's been barely I- gone. What's that? Oh, I was going to say, don't, um, the, 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 I read the messages, just got off a plane. So she did right. say, sorry, just landed. So Right. Okay. Um, so I think the place has fallen into rack and ruin um, with Shays leaving because um, you've seen the queues at airports. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So um, according to uh, Alan Joyce, um, he says the, mis- the problem is that our customers are not match fit did you hear that? Uh, no, but I see that. Apparently, they have to take out their arseholes. Oh, no, sorry, aerosols. That's it. So so the problems at the airport are that the customers are not match fit. It's taken them too long to get their laptops out of their carry-on luggage and other stuff, and uh, that's the cause of the delay. They're going to get match fit again. And that's probably why he's the highest-paid uh, airline executive in the world. 
Ah, uh, because this oh, golf, Joe. You wouldn't have watched the Masters golf at all. No. Okay. The winner is a guy called Scotty Scheffler, and uh, he's got a new caddy. Um, so he picked up this new caddy recently. When Scotty Scheffler heard that Bubba Watson and caddy Ted Scott had parted ways in the fall, Scheffler figured it was worth a call to see what Scott, who had been on the bag for Watson's two Masters victories, planned to do next. After all, it's not every day that a veteran caddy with Scott's resume becomes available. So Scotty Scheffler, the winner of the recent Masters, um, he'd met Scott in Bible study a year earlier. And um, I already thought the world of him as a person, Jeffler said. And Scott said uh, he thought he was done with caddying, but that changed when the phone rang. He called me up and he said, I really want to work with a Christian. That's how I try to live my life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, recent winner of the uh, US Masters, uh, met his caddy in Bible. Bible school and pray, pray to the right God then. Yeah, and uh, he just wants to work with Christians. That's how mm. he rolls. So hopefully he loses a few fans because of that. And oh, I think we're just about done, Joe. There we go. Ten oh seven. That'll be enough. Everyone's gone to bed anyway, haven't they? So all right. Um, we have five stalwarts. Good on you. The stalwarts are there. All right, well, that's it. I think on ch on Tuesday it will be Cam and Hugh talking about the historical Jesus. So who's, who's against? Well, uh, Hugh is going to argue that there definitely was a historical Jesus. And I think Cam is going to argue the case for why there wasn't, even though in reality Cam kind of concedes it's a 50-50 situation. But for the purposes of a debate, he's prepared to take a position. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see how little evidence there is of the historical Jesus. So I, yeah. I think that's the crux of it. Mm. Yeah. All right, we'll rehash that. Thanks, Joe, for uh, coming along again. And thanks for the brilliant suggestion of switching the microphone into a different <laughs> USB port. No wonder you are the, the tech guy. Hey, I, I just know the um, divine incantations that you need. Yeah, that did a trick. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. And it's a good night from him. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from 
a dollar fifty Australian to I think ten dollars and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.